Hello and welcome to episode 156 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mark. Joining me on today's episode is the writer, producer and director, Jenna Bass. We get to sit down with Jenna and talk all about her career so far. We get to talk all about her brand new title, Flatland, which is an amazing film and I urge you all to go out and check it out. It's an incredible concept and one of the best westerns I've seen, but it's with a twist. But as always, I won't spoil it, I won't go into much detail because I want you to go in there and enjoy the film completely fresh without any spoilers. But before we get to the interview with me and Jenna, let's touch base and talk about my last episode. I was joined by Laura Mary Carter from the amazing band Blood Red Shoes. It was a great chat, it was her second appearance on the podcast and so good to catch up. I love their new music and I can't wait to go and see them next year. If you haven't at this point listened to that interview, go back and check it out. It's on all the streaming channels and all the podcast networks you can name and I urge you to go and get a ticket to see Blood Red Shoes. They're an amazing band and Laura Mary Carter is an amazing person. But let's get back to today's episode. It's been about a week and that's quite long for Mark and me and I've got a brand new episode for you. As I just said, I'm joined by the director, Jenna Bass. It's a great chat and I really can't wait to share it. So I think the best thing to do right now is to get straight to it. So here's me and Jenna talking all things film. So Jenna, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Well, thank you for having me. For the listeners out there today that are tuning in that are maybe discovering your work for the first ever time, what I'd like to do is give those people an idea of what made you become the director you are today. So let's take it right back to the early days. Can you remember when you were growing up, those early films you saw or actors or what basically made you fall in love with film and cinema? Um, I wasn't, I came to cinema quite late, actually. Um, I didn't watch a lot of movies growing up because I was very, like, very sensitive kids so most movies were too scary for me um I went to like I mean I had to walk out of Power Rangers the movie wow. because I was too scared like I, with the, I don't know if you ever saw it but the whole thing with parents being turned into turned into zombies just yeah I couldn't handle it it was too much for me I really loved my parents because so I couldn't deal with it um so I didn't watch a lot of movies I watched a lot of I mean yeah my parents were also quite strict with TV so I didn't even watch a lot of TV um I loved loved like the cartoons and that I watched um I was like a massive fan of the animated Ewoks I used to like Amazing. do a lot of like um you know like kind of fan fiction in my head of the Ewoks <laughs> if you can imagine such a thing um so yeah I wasn't really into cinema until later in my teens when um my dad was a big cinema fan and um I he kind of when I was t- became older he he gradually introduced me to film and um, I think the first kind of like grown up movie I watched was um, The Usual Suspects. Wow. Um, and yeah, like really, really loved that. And I think that was like the first time I'd seen people like being shot and like dying and stuff. <laughs> so it made a very big impression on me and um, I really loved it. And I think that was like a big one for me. And um, also as a teenager, I, I made a friend in high school who was a big fan of like the golden era of cinema and introduced me to a lot of older films that I, you know, I, I just didn't know about film history. And that also yeah. kind of just opened my mind up to things like that. So um, it was only really when I was about 16 or so that I think filmmaking became something that I wanted to do and it and it made a lot of sense to me because up until that point I'd really loved storytelling and I'd been interested in a whole lot of things and I couldn't really make up my mind what I wanted to do with my life I'd kind of wanted to do something that would allow me to do everything 
and making films I realized was like a way of being a scientist of everything you could study you get to study life basically so yeah it kind of all went from there and was it quite joyous for your father then that it was big into film that the fact that his daughter then wanted to go out there and start of try and make films become a director and a writer was it kind of like yes because some parents wouldn't support that some parents would rather get a proper qualification and then fall back on something like a hobby that might be filmmaking or be a musician how did it work out with that relationship with your parents yeah um so I, my parents have always been extremely supportive um they were they're both doctors and they were both um kind of uh, had you know were encouraged by their parents to do the safe option and they were, they were both also creative people who kind of became doctors because it was like the thing you did yeah so they've always both both myself and my sister have always been you know very much like do what you want to do and I think actually they would have let us do anything as long as we didn't want to become doctors yeah. so um yeah they were very supportive and yeah especially my dad always like with because he has this real love of cinema and like especially westerns actually um he was always like trying to get me to watch westerns which is uh, over a very long period kind of what ended up being why Flatland got made yeah um but um yeah no absolutely like he's very he's like a biggest fan he's actually an executive producer on my most recent film that I'm just finished recently so um yeah no he's a big supporter and my mom is always yeah as well that's amazing it's kind of quite similar to me so my father his favorite films of all time are westerns so when I was growing up we'd sit there but you don't realize now looking back how long those films were we would sit there for three or four hours watching these you know shootouts and I I don't know how I had the patience as a kid but I remember sitting there watching stuff like Unforgiven and these classics you know the good bad and the ugly and they went on for hours <laughs> yeah and especially like the with good the bad and the ugly I think I think the version I watched for the first time was the re- like the director's cut so wow. it's even longer <laughs> that's testing your remember, patience well yeah I just was like oh I just remember like being blown away by that film and just loving it but I think the ones up until then that he showed me I was I didn't really get them like I I could see that he loved them but I I didn't quite understand and then I saw the good the bad and the ugly I was like oh I understand westerns now like now I see what you love so much so so at what point did it become a reality that you could then go and make these films because obviously you're looking at being a writer and producer and director and all the sort of films that you wanted to get involved in but at what point did it become something that wasn't just a a, a thought or a a kind of a wish and it became reality that you could then start being creative and creating these films um i would i mean I think, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm a very, like, if I if I can't do something or if I can't, like, act on something, I like, immediately I get very frustrated. So as soon as, like, I decided that filmmaking was something that I wanted to do, um, it was kind of immediately like, okay, I'm going to do it now, you know, regardless of whether I had the skill or the, the knowledge or the budget or anything. So pretty much as soon as I could, I, um, so my first job I, I had was actually working as a magician um, at, like, children's parties. Oh, wow. And uh, I saved up from doing that to buy my first video like little hd cam video camera and from then on i was like just filming everything and making little short films and i went to film school and i was like still like on the weekends like forcing my friends to like act in my little <laughs> terrible films and you know i like those things were awful but i mean you know with hindsight you look back and it's like that kind of just constant practice and immersion is like you know just also just proves to you that like you don't need permission to go off and do something and i think there was then something that film film school sort of um, and the film industry kind of drills into you that you need to be given permission to and you need to be given like x y and z tools or x y and z uh, resources in order to make your film whereas in fact that's not true like 
yes, there are some bar- like quite major barriers to entry with to the film industry. Well, and to, just to filmmaking, you know, you yes. need something to record with and you need something to edit on. But what those are like really could be anything. And um, yeah, I kind of like for quite some time after graduating um, was trying to kind of get to that point where, you know, someone was like a cool green light, you can make your film and eventually kind of just realized like that wasn't going to happen unless I just did it for myself because I was just, you know, kind of getting this thing. I think a lot of young filmmakers or emerging filmmakers get um, a lot, which is that, oh, we love your script. We love your idea. We love you. We love everything, but you haven't made a film. So sorry, we can't support you. So there's this vicious circle of like, you know, so eventually I was just like, I guess I'll just make my own film. And so my first feature was like completely guerrilla, like done with a tiny, tiny budget. I just, I did most things myself and yeah, I mean, that just made the next one a little bit easier and then the next one a little bit easier and it's kind of like... It's like oh. getting those first ones under your belt, isn't it? To at least say to someone, well, actually, you love my ideas, but I've proven that I can do it all by myself on a shoestring budget. Now take me seriously. Yeah, I mean, they still kind of don't, but you, it's, <laughs> it, it's just, it's accumulative. Like after, you know, there's there still like a billion people who's going to say no. I mean it's you know even once you've made the first film and then you're pitching your next one they're like and you're like yeah but I've made it I've made one before they're like yeah but that one was you know a low budget one how are you going to make a bigger budget you know there's people always looking for reasons and I think especially you know I think it is just also it's a little bit harder when you know you're a woman or you you're you're young or you present to be either of those things you know like it's um people don't really take you seriously um and yeah it's you kind of just have to like at some point just not look for people's approval because it's not going to come yeah and are you seeing a bit of a change in the way that the industry is looking upon women as directors now because it shouldn't even be a topic we should have to discuss in this modern world but we do get a point where the market in the industry is filled with so much male directors the fact that this year at the oscars we had promising young woman um and we had many more female directors getting a name for themselves and it was, it was so good to see such a varied range and slate of directors and producers and actresses and everything else but are you starting to see that there is a slight change now and there's going to be more people open to the suggestions of doesn't matter who the director is it doesn't matter about the sex the race they are just being taken more seriously mm. i mean i appreciate you saying it's you know, it's something that we shouldn't even really have to discuss because I do often, especially when it comes to talking about flatland, like uh, yeah. often the discussion becomes like, so as a woman, you know, how are you as a woman? Yeah. And, you know, so, and it is quite, quite exhausting um, and, and frustrating because sometimes you just want to talk about the film and um, the film does not represent all women and I don't represent all women. So thank you for saying that. Um yeah, I think things are changing and a lot of that, that change is very gratifying. Um, yeah, I mean, there are still, I mean, uh, yeah, there's, there's still a long way to go. And I think, um, you know, it's still, you know, the women who are getting these opportunities are still, you know, predominantly white. And I think, you know, there is still like, there's still quite a hierarchy of, of, of you know, in the power structure that like still definitely needs to be interrogated. But um, yeah, things are changing. Um I don't feel I get quite as much as the same pushback as I used to. Um, but yeah, I, um, at least yeah, steps are being made in there. the right. At least, yeah, at least steps are being made in the right direction. At least we're not taking steps back because that's just we don't need that right now in this industry. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and things are changing, and I, yeah, I do feel like we are starting to move past those conversations, even if we're still having them. Um, maybe more than we would like. Yeah. 
And we've mentioned a couple of times today, and obviously we're here to promote flat land. Now, this is basically, a, I'm trying to sum it up. Uh, it'd be, I, don't, I never like to spoil films for people or series or anything because when people listen, I don't want to. But it is a contemporary Western, really, isn't it, like you've mentioned today. And how did this idea come about for you and how did it all become to, you know, to getting greenlit and making this product that you wanted that invested so much time in? Um, yeah, so I mean, it, it kind of does go back to like watching those Westerns with my dad and um, at first kind of like not getting them and then starting to enjoy them. And um, when um, I graduated film school, I was kind of like looking around for like, what's my big feature going to be? I kind of wanted to make like Apocalypse Now, or, like the good, the bad. <laughs> that, that, that was like kind of like where I was out of my head in terms of the kind of films I liked and also just like my delusions of grandeur that I had about myself. Um, and I took a, I had taken recently, a, like at the time, a trip through the, a train trip through the Karoo, which is the area in the, uh, that you see in the film. Yeah. And I looked around, I was like, wow, this would make like such a great setting for a Western. Um, and I kind of just started thinking about making a Western set in the Karoo. And I didn't really realize that actually there was quite a history of um, the, that that area being used in Western films um, in the, in the 60s and 70s. Um, um, in, a, in a very kind of different context, but um, it, it kind of there was actually a tradition of westerns um, in that area that I that I hadn't didn't know about at the time. But when I started working on trying to come up with a western, um, I started to ask myself like what it, what it, was it about the western that interested me and why was I doing it, etc. And I kind of like was thinking about all the westerns that I loved and realized like there were never any characters specifically that I felt I could connect to and. Um, start to think about like why I'd really resisted enjoying Westerns with my dad where like, you know, in all other genres, like I didn't have that issue. And I think, it, and then I started to realize maybe it is just because there's never anyone who looks like me in them or when there is, um, they're standing on the doorstep waving off the cowboy, you know, and, or they're being rescued or they're being shot or something, you know, like, you know, like the, the female presence in the Western is very, very, very minimal historically, even though obviously it is there. Um, and just start to be like, well, what what is it about this genre that makes it so macho? And is it inherent in the genre? Is it something the genre? Is it is it just the fact that westerns are about men? They have to be about men. Or what would change about this genre? Or would anything change if women were the main characters? So started to kind of think about started in that sense, and then it kind of grew from there um, and evolved quite organically over you know the very long period of time um, it took to get it made. I mean, the concept is so original, so fresh, and it's so good to see. What was the setbacks, or was it quite good once you'd cast and got the production in place? Was there any kind of learning points where you thought, oh, I didn't think about this or something? You know, there's, al there's always surprise elements, isn't there, when you're directing and producing a, a film. But was there anything that was a major setback, or was it quite nice and steady? Um, the process of making the film, I think, um, for me, was actually smoother than I would have expected. Um, there was like all the usual problems of like, you know, not having enough money and not having enough yeah. resources and, you know, all of that, that was frustrating. But for me having like, this was at, you know, the time was my third feature film that I'd made, but it was the, um, by far the biggest, most resourced, even despite the fact that we didn't have enough money and it was, everything was extremely tight and we really had to make a lot of compromises, which I wish we didn't have to make. Um, it was still the biggest kind of project I'd worked on. And so from that sense, it, it felt very comfortable um, compared to my previous two films, which are literally just like me with a camera most, most of the time and a few other people. 
Um, so from that perspective, I, I kind of expected to, it was also a return to more traditional filmmaking for me from because my, my previous two films had been unscripted and um, more collaborative with the cast and a lot of improv. And so this was going back to a script. And so I expected to not enjoy it as much as I actually ended up doing. Um, and it helped me actually kind of get back into kind of the traditions of filmmaking that I'd you know, started with doing and, and, and enjoying those again and like the planning and preparation that goes into that and being more disciplined overall. Um, for, I think the biggest challenges are really actually, um, you know, in getting it to that point of getting it made yeah. where people didn't get it. You know, we were pitching the film and, and, you know, they'd be like, this isn't a Western. And I'll be like, <laughs> you know, why isn't it a Western? And they're like, well, because women. And, you know, I'm like, are you saying, yeah. you know, and like, or I'd be like, well, what is a Western to you? And, you know, they're like, oh, mm, mm, mm. I'm like, exactly. Is it guys wearing funny hats? Because if that's all it is, like, is that a genre? Like, I don't know if that if hats and men are like and horses are enough to classify something as a genre, you know, like other genres are about a lot more than that. Um, so, you know, that and then also people being like, well, if it's a Western with women, they've got to be lesbians or like, you know, like crazy weird concepts that people have about like what women must do in, in you know, in films. So. Yeah, and then getting compared to Thelma and Louise a lot and being like, is that really your only point of reference? That's very sad. Um, so that was very challenging and, and demoralizing a lot of the time. Um, but once we actually kind of got to the point where we were making it, there was less, you know, people, you know, making those comments at that point. So, yeah. It's shocking, isn't it? That people are still like that. I just, I don't know. It just it blows my mind that you've got to still have those conversations and, you know, what makes a Western has to be a typical group of white men on horses and that's it if it's outside of that it's not a western it's oh, it just angers me still yeah i mean it's still i still like even when the film you know uh, yeah when it, when it was finished you know people still resisted calling it that and you know yeah it is also a road movie and it is also a coming of age story but it's not not a western and uh, yeah i don't know i think i think genre is so much more interesting than just the absolute basic rules of whatever that genre is like I I I don't enjoy I love genre of cinema but I don't yeah. like genre of cinema which is just about the rules so yeah I don't know that's my 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 opinion one question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast and it doesn't matter if it's a writer a director a producer or even a musician but something that I like is that a lot of the listeners for the podcast are up-and-coming people that want to get into the industry or make a name for themselves now what advice do you give for anyone that wants to be a film director or a writer like yourself to try and stand above everyone else and get their work seen in a world that is so hard to be seen in? Um, I guess a few things. Uh, I think, I mean, the, the first thing kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier, which is like, don't wait for permission. Um, yeah. It's like you have to give yourself permission because... I mean, obviously at the end of the day, like, you know, to, to make a project of a certain size or, you know, something you, you're going to need that support and you, you're going to have to ask for it, you know, and you won't be able to do it on your, on your own. But, um, you know, if you're waiting to get started um, or you're waiting to like learn the ropes, like that's the point where like, you can't wait, you know, like you're, you're only going to get better when you're doing. And that's always what freaks me out is the time in between projects when I'm not making something, not because it's, you know, like, I just want to be busy, but because I'm not getting any better while I'm waiting, you know, yeah. so I think that that's like a big thing is to, if you aren't able to get your dream job or to direct your dream project right now, um, don't wait for that to happen or for don't wait for the stars to align, because they probably won't until you kind of start anyway, and then you'll find they kind of start aligning after that. Um, 
so I think that, and then, yeah, I mean, I think also knowing what advice to take and what not to take, because you're going to get a lot of it and a lot of people telling you to do this and to do that. And this won't work. And this, won't, you know, this will work. And this is how things operate. You know, and you'll, there's like a billion voices out there. And at the end of the day, also to just, you're going to have to decide for yourself um, and really kind of like own those decisions. Um, because a lot of people will say, well, no one wants to watch a film in, you know, your local language, you know, like no one wants to do that, you know, like, it, but maybe they do. And, uh, you know, I just, I think that a lot of the times there's, there's a million reasons not to do something yeah. and sometimes you just have to do it and make the mistakes and then make another one and don't fixate on this one project being the thing that's going to make or break your entire career. I think we, we kind of put a lot of pressure on first time directors to like be perfect and that's insane really. Yeah. I mean, everyone should be able to make mistakes and then make another one. So I love the rawness yeah. of a first release. Someone like Kevin Smith with Clerks. I love the faults. I love the cheap feel. I love the fact that he's made it with his money from a comic book collection. And at times you can see a reflection of the cameraman and all. I love all that. It's what it. It's raw. It's real. It's how it should be. And then I love seeing the later work that's then polished. And you've seen that they've kind of had this journey of learning along the way. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean, I. I. I mean. I try not to be because I used to be really hard on myself and you know like look at those yeah. things mistakes and think like oh I'm so terrible and like well, what, what am I really basing that of is like you know I've never done this before I'm learning and yeah I you know I, I think and the only way to learn it is to do it and I mean I could have spent 10 years being a PA on a commercial set or something like that and I could have learned that way but I honestly don't think that would have taught me the things that I needed to know about storytelling which is really the most important thing rather than how to call action and cut you know so yeah, definitely still like, I, I totally think I'm still learning. Um, there's a lot I, I still have to learn, but I'll have to make another film to find out what that is. Um, yeah. And my final question for you today is, and I'm going to put you on the spot now, is what we do on the podcast to make it quite original is the outro music is chosen by the guest that's been on that episode. So we keep it quite original that way. <laughs> is there a song that you love that would stand above any other song it can be from a film a score or just a song by a band that you absolutely love that would be a perfect outro song that would sum you up or that you dearly hold close to you that would be the, your choice so when i'm asking the question it's usually the one that comes to your heart straight away um and that we finish the episode with today okay i have an answer i love that most uh, people want five <laughs> or ten minutes and then they email me later and say actually i've i've, I've had a bit of a think and i want to change it but the fact that i've got it now is music to my ears okay no i can give you the answer now so i, I well I, maybe i can't because i don't actually know what it's called but i i can definitely get you the name so it's the theme song from tears of the black tiger so that that's a film that like i i absolutely love and i love that song and it's a western so i yeah. think it fits perfectly with what we discussed today <laughs> cool it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today, Jenna, and I'm really excited to see what the future holds. I'm really, really excited. So um, I look forward to hopefully speaking to you again in the future and good luck with everything at the moment. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Jenna Bass, an amazing person, an amazing future ahead of her. And it was so good to sit down and talk more about Flatline. It's an amazing film, it's a contemporary western, and it's a journey of the best filmmaking out there. 
please go and check it out. And as always, jump onto markandme.com and let me know your thoughts on this movie. I absolutely love it when I see that people can discover new albums, books or films from this podcast and then they go and enjoy it. And to let me know is honestly one of my favourite things and the reason I do the podcast. So please do that. As always, if you've enjoyed today's episode, all I ask is you share it. It costs nothing to do. All the links are on Mark and me to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And for you guys out there, once you've listened to hit that share button and share it on your own page or your own Twitter account or your own Facebook page makes a massive difference. All those people that are your followers or your friends, they can see the link and might just check it out and become a huge fan of the podcast. And that's all I can ask for. If you've really enjoyed today's episode or you're a big fan of Mark and me, you can support me on my Patreon page. Every month I go out of my way to make sure I give those guys that support me on Patreon the best prizes in the business. Thanks to the amazing guys at Vice Press, I have amazing prints, some stuff that you can't buy, some very rare variant prints and much more. Also, because the last exit to nowhere, the best t-shirt company out there, each and every month I have two t-shirts to give away. Girls on Tops are also around, they're giving me some amazing stuff and this is all to say thank you for supporting me on Mark and Me. The Patreon page is there on markandme.com, you can sign up for as little as £1 a month and honestly you're in for a chance to win some amazing prizes, the money you invest in Mark and Me goes right back into the podcast to allow me to record more and more episodes which gives you guys at home more and more podcasts. I never make money from it and I invest it all right back into the actual Mark and Me podcast so please keep it coming. It makes a huge difference and I can't do this podcast without that support. I've had about a week off and I haven't been too well but I feel great now and I can't wait for the next few weeks ahead. September is going to be absolutely manic and I've got some amazing stuff coming up so stay tuned because in a few days time I'll be back with a brand new episode. So until then please look after yourself Take care of each other and I'll speak to you all in a few days time. From Rikit Bandan Chapa Don't hey ma pokan tandai ก่อนไม่อยู่กันแสนไกลผมเลยคิดโดนจิตใจฉันจึงได้มาใกล้กับเธอเออชะลอยเธอเป็นเนื้อคู่ควรอุ่นชูเลี้ยงดูบำเรอแต่ครั้งแรกเมื่อพบเธอใจนึกเชื่อเมื่อแรกเจอฉันและเธอคือคู่สร้างมาเนื้อคู่ไกลคงไม่คลาดพลามุ่งหวังสมดังอุราไม่ว่าใครใครหากไม่ใช่คู่ครองแท้จริงจะแอบยิงรักยิงปานใดอยากนักที่จะสมใจคงพบเหตุอาเพศภัยพลาดกันไปทำให้คลาดคลาสองคนต้องเป็นเนื้อคู่จึงชื่นชูรักใครบูชา
นี่เพราะว่าบุญนุนพาผมลิขิตขีดเส้นมาชี้ชะตาให้มารวมกันคนบางคนต้องเป็นเนื้อคู่เพียงแต่ดูรู้ชื่อโดยพลันก็รู้สึกนึกรักกันจนฝันไฟใจผูกพันแม้ไม่ทันจะเห็นรูปกายฉันเชื่อบรรดาลทุกอย่างเป็นผู้วางหนทางปวงชนได้ลิขิตชีวิตคนนำเนื้อคู่มาเปลอปลนทั้งยังดนเธอให้กับฉัน